0: This this, this, is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk.
1: Hi, I'm Adam. Thank you very much for downloading this extra special podcast. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the Fight Disciples podcast on iTunes and therefore you'll never miss out on any of the content that we put up. Uh, This particular episode is our own tribute. To the greatest, Muhammad Ali, a man that paved the way for so many of the fighters that we love to go and watch today. I'm absolutely heartbroken that I never got to live through this man's era, to sit ringside and watch him do his thing. And not only that, just to experience the things that he brought to us outside of the ring. The first man that really did transcend boxing in a time that was very difficult to be a black man in America. What he did, really did shake up the world. With all that in mind, I caught up with one of my favourite boxing journalists, David Anderson from the Daily Mirror, just to have a little bit of a, a chat about Muhammad Ali inside and outside the ring, talk about some of his most epic fights, talk about the fights that will live on in living memory and the things that he did outside the ring. ...that changed people's lives forever.
0: This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes store.
1: If I'm honest, I don't know where to start with this. Um, I'm going to go boxing second, if that's all right, because the thing that interests me the most about Muhammad Ali is probably uh, the more humanitarian stance uh, that he took. Uh, In particular... Uh, his view on uh, the Vietnam War in 1967, which which ended up leading to him uh, being sentenced to five years in, pr- in prison. At that time, obviously I wasn't born then, um, but at that time, with what we know now as historians, with the way that uh, black people were looked at in America, with the way that people didn't stand up to authority, all that type of stuff, huge, huge game changer, not as a boxer, but just a game changer in society.
0: Well, well, it was because it was essentially the, America's white uh, establishment, you know, basically, you know, sort of, uh, you know, picking this fellow and victimising him, really, saying, "Oh, if you don't, uh, you know, go off and uh, join the draft for this, then we will sort of, uh, you know, sanction." Of course, the, the, the word boxing bodies were quite happy to go along with that and actually stripped them of as as uh, world titles, really. And it's just, it's just in some respects, it, it's these. His death has just reminded us how far we've come, really, and especially America's coming you know, on race relations. You know, since that time, because you're you're absolutely staggered to believe this. And there's also that other story about Ali when he won his gold medal at the the Rome Games in 1960 and came back home to yeah. to the Rainbow game and thought, "This is fantastic." You know, I was feeling great. Right, I'm going to go downtown and get myself, well, a coffee and a hot dog. And uh, was told "I'm sorry, we don't serve Negroes," and you know. You know, even these terminologies, it's just staggering to believe that they they were doing that, you know, back then. And, you know, but as you say, he he was one man who stood up for this and said, no, this isn't right. We're going to change this. And he did.
1: And change it, he did. I mean, he was prepared to sacrifice his own career. And
0: that, that was the measure of the man, really, because we all talk about sacrifice and, you know, life and sport these days. And we'll talk about, oh, yeah, I've sacrificed a lot. You know, I, I don't go out socialising. I don't drink. You know, I just focus on my training and I do this and I do that and I'm dedicated. And I, go to bed and get 10 hours kept and stuff because usually this was somebody as you said at the peak of the powers and you said remember the world heavyweight champion of the world it was a couple of being like the, the 100 metre Olympic champion you were one of the yeah. top sports people in the world and as you said he was prepared to, to give that all up um, you know because he, he objected to the war and of course the reasons why I objected to the war he, he was bringing race into again he was saying well um, you know, you look at the oppression that we have suffered here, you know, we black people over, you know, a couple of centuries in America, you know, I don't think that's anything compared to, you know, whatever some Viet Cong are doing over there in Vietnam, and was saying, okay, there may be a few bad ones, but, you know, he was sort of justified as well, it wasn't just a case of, oh, oh, don't want to do it, and as you say, to put everything it fought so hard for on the line, and to sort of be persecuted like he was, and, you know, he was pilloried, really, you know, mm. by the establishment, and you know, they, they stuff, stuff like they, they took away his passport. He couldn't even, like, you know, come and... Like, nowadays, you would just... Remember, we had the famous David Ay and Ch- Chizor thing where they yeah. used, there wouldn't be licensed British Boxing Board, so instead they were licensed by Luxembourg. And he didn't even have the option of fighting outside of the US because he took his passport away from him. It, it was awful.
1: He was forced to make a living uh, another way. The, the thing that, out of that whole incident, that I like the most is because, obviously... He was convicted of draft evasion, which alludes to the fact that he went on the run. He, 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 he hid away from something. He didn't, by, no. by far, by means. He did not hide. He turned up to the draft. He turned up for it, and he made a stance, and he basically looked the authorities in the eye and refused to step forward. That was the whole process, and that was the powerful images that we've seen over the last couple of days being re- replayed.
0: Well, this is it. and of course, he was then went around the college. He became a, a campaigner, you know, uh, against the war. And it's, yep. I think the, the thing about him, Adam, what, what strikes you, he was a bit like Mandela. He was way ahead of his time because at the time people thought, oh, this is, this is he's, a, he's a traitor, he's unpatriotic, you know, he's disloyal, he should be doing this. And then you look at him, and he was way ahead of the curve in terms of his arguments. Now, whereas if you were trying to argue today, Oh, um, shall we fight a big war in the Southeast Asia and send like hundreds of troops over to try and prop up some sort of you know yeah. corrupt type regime? What do you think about that? And if you actually said yes, you're the one who'd be criticised and told you're you're a loony and all the rest of mm. it, really. But but yeah, he I say he was he was ahead in these debates and it was almost he could see what was right you know before anyone else could.
1: No, absolutely. Let's move on to his boxing because this was a, the talent that made well. I look back at all these videos now, and this is—I'm amazed. Even if I was to see this and be lucky enough to be ringside at any of these fights today, it's one of those that you—you you tell your grandkids about, don't you? You go, I, "Hey, I was there when this particular thing happened." Yeah. I've just picked out five fights now. Other people will have their own fond memories. I've just picked out five. Uh, I'm going to start back in 1964. Sonny Liston. 20, yeah. yeah uh, as a 22-year-old boy, in a way, just starting out his career, Liston undefeated. Um, obviously for those that know a little bit about this fight there was obviously the uh, the escapade with the stringent on Liston's gloves which got into Ali's eyes um, he ended up winning the fight and becoming the heavyweight champion of the world just just everything was up against him I think he was 7-1 to one in a two horse race yeah. in that fight to win it sensational performance from him
0: and it was and of course back then, I always think it's a bit like when Jack Nicholas came through and deposed Arnold Palmer at the time people didn't like it because Arnold Palmer was a respected sort of champion and the same way they looked at Ali as a sort of outspoken, brash, trash-talking, upstart. and mm. You know, who is he really? Who is this guy? I think he is at 22 years. He's come along talking like that about, um, but something else because even then he was uh, saying, well, he smells like a bear. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, winding him up and stuff. And yeah, and yeah, he did it. You know, he did it. As, as we all know the famous quote-unaffes says. I, I, I shook up the word really. And, yeah. and he absolutely did talk about you know, a nice new arrival on, on the world stage It was absolutely sensational.
1: I picked out Cleveland Williams in 1966 because it's the first time that we got to see the Ali Shuffle
0: yeah well, it was just it was just sort of a just, just <laughs> sensation because of course that's what it, what he was about. It wasn't just about the boxing, it was about being the showman as well, about yeah. uh, entertaining the fans, about you know putting on a spectacle really and you're right, and as you say it's like and, and ever since then, like even we saw when Tyson Fury was, was fighting Klitschko at that time, you know he was trying to do a little bit of alley shuffle, a little bit of the you know the windmill winding one arm mm. up and then punch him with the other and all you know, that those sorts of tricks really to sort of make your opponent look look foolish but of course (laughs) he was the one who sort of popularised it back then
1: no absolutely a lot of people will obviously have their own memories of the Henry Cooper situation when Henry Cooper put him on his backside but in 1971 he took on Frazier for the first time how blessed do you think he was to be around Frazier Foreman and therefore have the top top, I mean we're talking top elite heavyweights in his his era I suppose
0: you're right because it, it, it as an ear or as you know, we always talk about if you're a team or individual you can only beat what's out there and sometimes we will look back and, and certain years, well, you know, well there wasn't a lot of competition really. But but you're right, he, he was sort of blessed in that sense and that these were uh, everywhere you looked, you know, you could chuck in Ken Norton, you chuck in Ernie Shavers as well. These, these were these were huge, huge fights. And in some respects I always feel sorry for the, the likes of Norton and Shavers They could <laughs> have been yeah. world champions and you know, they they could have their own glory. If it hadn't been you know for, um, you know, for, for what for what he was sort of doing, uh, but it was really because of course, when you had you know guys as good as that, you have to make yourself even better to be, and of course that drew the best out of him like you might talk about the fight of the San was a little bit. Undercooked because he'd only come back from a sort of suspension really yeah. and maybe that fight was a wee bit too soon from against the Joe Fraser. he was absolutely pumped up and you know in, in his prime really but again it just set it up for the second and the, the third fight's coming in and the the thriller in Manila really but you, but you see everybody needs that you know Borg um and sort of back and all stuff you all need that sort of other guy to sort of hit against and he was very fortunate he had like sort of you know two two or three of them well
1: that one in 1971 was his first pro loss. But the thing I liked the most about it, yes, the fight was brilliant. But even Frank Sinatra couldn't get a ticket for it. That's how popular this thing was. Yeah, I think he had to blag his way in as a photographer hey, for, for a Life magazine. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, the hardest thing. And you hear all the stories about um, uh, they, they did the way in. Oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the hotel across from Madison Square. Garden. They did the way in, and the, such was a throng of people they literally couldn't. They, <laughs> they couldn't get back out you know, from, from the arena back into the hotel. It was, just, it was just sort of blocked with people and even the New York police could not clear a path. them because, as you say, it was just unbelievable. Everybody wanted to see it. And then, you know, if that were possible, it just seemed to get bigger and bigger, you know, going to, like, the Rumble in the Jungle as well, you know, which which you could argue is... Is that, that the best? G- was
1: that the best one, 1974, Rumble in the Jungle with Foreman?
0: I think what, what I would say about that, um, I classify it as poss- is the greatest sporting event, the, the greatest specter but because of the build-up and because everything that went to because of the fact of where it was because of the fact it was postponed because of the fact it went on and on and the fact that him and foreman were going at it and you know i think because everything had led to that point you know that the, the fight of the century then winning his rematch of Fraser, which in 74 which then put him in line um, you know for that one but i know i know what you mean other people talk about the thrill in the middle of being the greatest fight they've ever seen where two blokes absolutely points themselves to. Yeah, yeah. To, to I'm to talking itself. about, like you
1: said, sporting upsets. I mean, we're talking about George Foreman here, who, who was battering everybody for fun in that particular division, yeah. and everybody had said even the great Muhammad Ali won't beat this guy. And the way that he went about it, inventing in his own words the rope-a-dope for that particular fight, just the manner of the way that he pulled off this yeah. victory, that underdog victory,
0: just well, sensational. Because right. you would have said, if you were writing down, right, okay, if you've got... Possibly the heaviest hitting heavyweight of all time. What must you not do? Okay, right. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> let not him get beat it. Him up. Yeah. yeah. Let's not get it. Let's punch your move. Let's punch your move. You know, let 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 us tire him out. You know, let let's do it that way there. And as you see, what does he do? Say, he literally makes turns himself into a punch bag and, and just absorbs it all. Uh, knowing that he was tearing him out, and that he could then sort of uh, who who else would come up with a strategy? Anyone else would just say you're completely mental. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yet he did it. You know, but, but I suppose maybe it, it maybe said a little bit more by that stage. Adam, you know where he was because perhaps the sort of the quick hands, the quick speed, you know that old, you know uh, Foot like a butterfly. Thing a that that had gone. I think in some respects, his, his exile robbed him of a lot of that. Mm. You know, speed really. So I suppose, which again, a tribute to the bloke. Where he find a way to win. He sort of says, right. Well, here's the strategy which will win me this fight at this stage of my career, 32 year old, and uh, he he did it. Every every fighter,
1: obviously, since Ali, um, we all have our favourites, and therefore you, they will all have those defining moments where maybe it's just one fight or two fights. For example, Tony Bellew last week at Goodison. Yeah, that's his defining moment. That's his yep. moment. You look at Ali and you think, to yourself, I'm struggling to get it down to five. You know, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've had to far eliminate far. how many other ones that yeah. are, are in there. We mentioned Henry Cooper. I, it's not made my five list.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, as you said the two Cooper shots, and he even talk about that Ernie Shavers fight, you know, yeah. right? where he talks about where well, he hit me so hard, even my ancestors <laughs> Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's just just incredible, incredible fights. As you say, I think uh, like you said, he was sort of blessed that there were so many top. Yeah. all the opponents are around. And as you, in career as well, You know when you sort of think about it, he you, beat Floyd Patterson. Yeah. You know, when you think of the names, he started off by beating Liston, and, and he, you know, he ends up by winning his rematch with Leon Spinks. But then, of course, Larry Holmes comes around, which is a completely different year. And by then, it's yeah. way too late. He should have been gone by then. But to see a career that sort of, you know, sort of started with sort of beating the likes of Liston and then sort of was ended by... Um, uh, you know, losing a sort of lion. What, what, what a, you know, that's such a slice of world heavyweight history. And There's, there's even the final fight against Burbick, and of course Burbick was Mike Tyson's opponent when he first yeah. won his world title in, in 86 and stuff. It's just it's just incredible, as you say, to to fit, it's not so much a man's career, it's almost to fit, you know, boxing history into one <laughs> career, really. As you see all those fights all, against all those guys and in all those countries. You know, as well, it was absolutely sensational.
1: The beautiful thing about him and what we've seen over the weekend is that he hasn't just inspired fighters, that generation, and paved the way for the way that they earn money now and the way that they go about their business. He was the original. He was the original rock star of the sport, but he, is, he transcends the sport. He, he inspires people, uh, whether it's uh, whatever colour skin you are, whatever career path you decide, there's always an Ali quote somewhere that someone maybe draws upon in order to inspire themselves.
0: We see, that, that's it. And funny, When I was thinking about this over the weekend, I was trying to write my pieces, you're right? Because on the one hand, you all his sporting achievements, and you're right, they are fantastic, historic, you know, first man, when the were to have a title three times. But then, you are right, what, what makes him a lot bigger, as you say, is because, like we spoke about at the first part of it, you know, what, what he was prepared to give up, you know, to stand up for his beliefs. And, and that's where his real legacy for me is. And that's why, you know, I was just trying to think in the second half of the 20th century, Apart from Nelson Mandela, as any other figure, you know, who's used who, who changed the whole world like he did, and you know, stuff that say taught us to be brave, taught you to stand up for what you believe in, no matter what the cost, uh, to stand up for what's right, you know, to, to, to you know, even if it, it's not what the, what the majority of people yeah. say, really, and she and just be an example for everyone, As you say. You can have other people maybe like Malcolm X, and you can say, well, Malcolm X was maybe st- still adopted, maybe sort of by black people. But you see, everybody around the world knew him. Everybody has learned from him. Everybody wants to be like him. And that sensation it's like we are saying before about someone has being ostracised by white America, and yet from Jimmy Carter onwards, they were queuing up that, you know, to invite him to the White House to be seen with him. It was almost like the ultimate kudos was to be seen with Muhammad Ali and to have your picture taken with him, you know, the most famous human being of, of his time, really. <laughs> From a face, yes. And I upset Sonny and I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. I, I told you. the world. I talk to God every day. If God's with me, nobody's going to that be me. I shook up uh, the world. I shook up the world. I shook up the world. Uh, uh, yeah. I